you may be seated. I especially love the gospel text this morning from John 17. However, I'm not preaching from it. Um, I'm preaching from the Acts passage this week. Uh, We are a week away from Pentecost. And this is a text that, um, I don't know, I feel like kind of gets treated as sort of a, a minor story within the canon. I've very rarely heard it preached about, but it's one that for the last couple of years has fascinated me. And in fact, I know once in a sermon before I mentioned this text, kind of in a drive-by way, but didn't spend a lot of time here. But I think it's, it's such an in, intriguing, challenging little passage. Uh, one of my favorite, just sort of incidental Paul stories where we kind of see him on the journey. And uh, I, I think it, it speaks to us in some eerily uh, challenging and prophetic ways right now. So Acts 16, beginning with verse 16, says, One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are the slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, the phrase in Greek there literally suggests worked over, Paul feeling worked over by this, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. For our purposes, we'll stop right there this morning, though this leads into another wonderful story about how uh, Paul and Silas will be liberated out of prison. But I I wanted to leave it hanging here for right now. Would you pray with me just one more time? Lord, I feel such calmness in my soul this morning. I do feel such peace in this place, the peace that comes as a gift from you, the peace that comes with being with other people who love you, and then just somehow together there's just something so wonderful that you do when we gather in your presence and you visit with us in the way that you're meeting with us today. I would just simply ask now, Lord, that you would grant us clarity, uh, me and the speaking us and the hearing that all of us would be sensitive to your still small voice and just for the grace today not to uh, say too much or too little not to come on too strong or back off too much but just to find that uh, that that place just right in the center of your hand Lord is where we want to be so give us grace now to to really hear your word in the name of the Father the Son the Holy Spirit everybody said Amen. amen so Paul is going around preaching 
And while they're on their way to a place of prayer, while Paul and his companions are actively engaged in mission, here comes this slave girl. We have seen throughout the gospel text, and of course Acts is a continuation of Luke, it's sort of Luke part two. We've seen in Luke in particular a number of stories where Jesus will come into conflict with some sort of demonic presence or power. In fact, that's really what happens throughout these stories is that those who are in the way of Jesus are constantly stirring up principalities and powers, both earthly and demonic. So people are upset and things in the spirit realm around them are somehow being disrupted. And we have uh, many examples, of course, where we think about that man like who was called Legion, uh, who, when he recognizes the presence of Jesus, the spirits inside of him recognize the presence of Jesus and go begging him you know, not, to, not to be cast out. Here, this particular slave girl, who really, by the way, is in a, is in a tragic place. Like, we have some other similar figures in the book of Acts who, who are more powerful. Like, we think about Simon the sorcerer is a well-known magician. This girl is is being exploited in some way, apparently. Um, there was a particular uh, temple in the region where people worshipped a, a, a god called Python, this sort of Python spirit. And there were particular people who would have these sort of prophetic, um, ecstatic moments that as they worshipped, as they sort of channeled the spirit of the python, they would be able to essentially do some form of fortune telling. It's really what's going on. They're fortune tellers. They would be seized by this spirit and then would begin to speak things that they would not otherwise know unless there was some kind of real empowerment there. So what would happen, and it seems to happen with this girl, is that you had these local charlatans who would sometimes employ people that had these kind of dark gifts and then would use them for making money. So this slave girl who's in captivity, both to some form of a demonic spirit, but also apparently to real-world powers who are using her to make money, as soon as she sees Paul going around preaching and all this, something in her recognizes who he is. Something in her recognizes the truth of this. So as Paul and his companions are going along, she begins to cry out in a loud, loud voice, Behold! These men are servants of the Most High God. They proclaim the way of salvation. And over and over again she would say this. These men are servants of the Most High God. They proclaim the way of salvation. Not for one day, not for two days, not for three days, but on and on and on, day after day, hour after hour. She lags behind these disciples and she keeps saying the same thing. Behold these men are servants, they're slaves of the Most High God. They proclaim the way of salvation. And part of what makes this text so intriguing to me is because this is a girl who is possessed by some kind of a demonic spirit. She is under an influence that is not of God. And yet, she proclaims a truthful thing. Yet, she proclaims an honest thing Wherever that comes from, perhaps the spirits in her are recognizing that the spirit that's in Paul is of, a, is of a higher sort, the most high God. Whatever is compelling her to do this, what she says is truthful. We might say it like this. What she says is orthodox. Pay attention to the words. Roll them around. Tell me what's wrong. What's wrong with calling Paul and his companions Slaves of the Most High God. They are. What's wrong with saying that they proclaim the way of salvation? They are. 
What's wrong with telling other people that they ought to listen to Paul and his companions because they're telling the truth? People should because they are telling the truth. And that for me is what's so fascinating about this passage and yet at the same time, what scares me so much about it is because if you look at this from a distance and all you see is this girl who's following them along, I mean, it can almost look like she's helping them, right? I'm not trying to scare any children who might be staying in for Mother's Day, but behold, these men are slaves of the Most High God. They proclaim the way of salvation. Well, she's on our side. She's on the right team. But that's the thing that's so perplexing to me about this is that it's possible for the wrong spirit to say the right thing. I don't think you're hearing me this morning. It's possible for the wrong spirit to say the right thing. And on the surface, everything's okay. On the surface, we might even say that what she's saying is biblical. (laughs) It lines up. It connects with chapter and verse. But what's happening here is instead of this actually enhancing the mission of Paul and these other disciples, is that this voice has become a distraction. This voice is taking away. It requires a certain kind of discernment to get this. And I feel like in everything I talk about right now, I find myself talking about discernment because I can't think of a time in my life where I think discernment has ever been more needed than it is right now. Especially when you're in a season where there are an awful lot of loud voices. Loud voices. There are a lot of people crying out. There are a lot of people speaking with authority. There are a lot of people speaking with unction. There are a lot of people that seem anointed, and I'm not just talking about even within like the religious sphere. You know, I grew up very Pentecostal, and I love it. I'm a product of this tradition, and I self-identify within it. But I, of all people, am very aware that within my world, if you want to know whether or not somebody's anointed, you know how you find out? Volume, my friends. Volume. (laughs) If you preach loud enough, that's the anointing. Another way you can know somebody's super in that same spirit that somebody's really anointed is if you preach mad enough. Ooh. We love it when our preacher gets anointed. We love it when he gets mad. We love it when he gets fiery. Heard some preachers, the angriest people in my life, people think like, oh, that person is so holy. He's angry all the time at everything. Surely this must be the spirit of the Lord. But I do think, there, you know, in a way, there, there's something to that. There, there's something to the loud voice that speaks with a certain kind of authority. We are drawn to power. We are drawn to powerful people who speak in a powerful way. We are drawn to certainty. We are drawn to people that, uh, that, that, that speak with a black and white kind of certitude. We like that. And the louder it gets, and then especially when you live in a world where there's so many voices that are dialed up to 11 or 12, and they're competing, and we live in a forest where everywhere we we look, someone else is crying out in a loud voice, the people of God so easily begin to lose their discernment. 
because we can't tell the difference between one who simply speaks loudly and one who speaks in the name of the Lord. We can't tell the difference between one who speaks with, uh, with a self-imposed or even a demonic kind of authority versus those who speak in the authority that comes from the kingdom of God. And if we are just people of the law, if we are just people of the letter, then we will miss what happens in a text like this where somebody might be saying something that's technically true. But if you walk in discernment, if you walk in the spirit, something in here says, Some, something's not quite right. Something about this feels a little bit weird. On the surface, it looks okay, but something's not quite right. Even if people are quoting the Bible. Do I have to remind you that Satan quotes scripture quite well to Jesus in the wilderness, chapter and verse, for his own purposes. We have a great, big, diverse book. I wish I had time to do this as much as I like, but I don't think it's the, today is the day for it. How people use scripture. And so often, especially the way people use it in kind of a, a, a proof texting way, like it's a trump card, boom, well, I got Bible for this. I got a verse for this. Folks, there is Bible for a lot of things. There are verses for a lot of things. <laughs> but when these verses, even from the inspired word of God, are used for another agenda that is not God's, they're used for an agenda that is not the king's, something somehow is a little bit off and we don't always know exactly what that is. Just something just doesn't sit right. Something doesn't sit right. Voices that instead of bringing peace, voices that instead of bringing the fruit of the Spirit, voices that instead of bringing people into a closer relationship with Jesus seem to be saying some things that might be technically true, that might be technically accurate, but the effect is somehow an elaborate distraction from the gospel. I just, is, are you hearing me preach at all this morning? I don't mean to be quite so hot and bothered or whatever. I just think that, I just think that there's really something to this. Especially, again, as much as we love power. Because we can hear something that sounds powerful. We can speak, hear someone that speaks with a kind of authority and it's very easily, and sometimes I think, to confuse a very human and even demonic kind of power with power, power, wonder-working power. <laughs> we think it's that kind of power, and it may not be. Um, this isn't directly from this text, but I think the point bears out. One of the things that I've found consistently is that, how can I say this the way that I want to? When someone speaks in a way where there is blaming and condemning of some kind of an outsider, Rene Girard talks about this, Pastor Ed referenced it a few weeks ago actually, the way Girard talks about how all cultures find a scapegoat, find someone that they determine to be other, and oftentimes the way that we know that we are an us is because we identify a them. By labeling them, we know who we are. And so what happens in that is that when we label those individuals, when we talk about those individuals, it's really easy to get worked up because there is a weird kind of righteousness that happens in that situation because we're cleansing ourselves 
on someone else. We are cleansing ourselves on another. We are scapegoating someone else. And in the process of that scapegoating, in the process of labeling this other person, there's a real fire to that. There's an energy to that. There's a zeal to that that feels spiritual. And the reason it feels spiritual is because it is spiritual. Do you hear what I'm saying? A little too deep for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I love my mom. She's watching the live stream right now. I love you so much, Mama. There is something deeply spiritual about this. There is a kind of spiritual transaction that's going on. And that one person, in an almost priestly way, is cleansing themselves on another person. And the crowd gets worked up. The crowd is mobilized. The crowd is energized. And there's something in that loudness. There's something in that sense of certainty and certitude. There's something in that as people are hearing it. It just, it just feels so good. It just feels so good. It is like a drug just right here. Feels so good. Feels so good. And you get used to that kind of adrenaline. Then you just need another hit and another hit and another hit. It feels so good to be right. That's a favorite little quote of mine that I say too much, that uh, being right's more dangerous than heroin. I really think that, you know, it's like you get, it feels so good to be right, especially, and have someone else who's like clearly wrong. It just, it just, just feels so good. And the midst of all of this, in the midst of that kind of dark energy, especially if scripture is being volleyed out in some way, especially if people are using the name of Jesus in some way, it makes sense then. How even the people of God, let me use another phrase of Paul's from another book, how if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived because it feels so spiritual, it feels so right, and yet there's something still at the heart of this that's deeply, deeply wrong. Incidentally, I'm, um, I'm sorry, I'm got, I've got my head in so many different directions and I'm almost overly worked up right now, but I'm thinking about how, I don't know, I feel like so often what, what happens within the church these days, and I'm speaking broadly, but I feel like so often what we do is when we decide we want to speak out about something, we often speak out in a way that I can find no equivalent for in the ministry of Jesus or the ministry of Paul, and that we see people out in broader culture somewhere that are offensive to us in some way, that bother us in some way, and we want to kind of speak out against them, sort of want to make proclamations about sin and sinners. Interesting just how little of that, and by little I mean there's none of that happening in the New Testament. It's just not, I mean, when people talk about the world being so much worse than it's ever been, no doubt these are challenging times, but friends, you just need to do some basic reading on Roman culture in the time of Jesus and Paul, and if you want to talk about depravity, that's what depravity looks like. You want to talk about sexual depravity? That, there you go. Look at first century Rome. I mean, there's so many things that are so deeply wrong with the society, and like really, really wrong with the society. And yet, the way that Jesus and Paul and these early disciples choose to use their authority is not to rail against things that are happening out there in broader culture. What does happen in the ministry of Jesus, what does happen in the ministry of Paul is when there are voices who attempt to speak for God, like the scribes and the Pharisees, when there are people who attempt to hijack God's message well, see, then you're getting into a place where you start getting into our lane and something has to be said. And that's what's happening in this text. 
is that Paul, while he's going around preaching the gospel, pointing people to Jesus, proclaiming the kingdom of God, what this woman is doing, which again, the words seem so right, the words sound so right, is actually distracting people from the mission of God in the world. It's becoming a distraction. It's becoming a distraction. And the Apostle Paul being a person who's used to this kind of conflict, even conflict with the demonic, is not, it doesn't seem especially, he's fairly nonplussed by this. And the, the way that I know that is that the text says this went on for several days. So for the first day, when the woman's going around, behold, these men are servants of the Most High God. Listen to them. They proclaim the way of salvation. Paul just keeps walking. Paul just keeps walking. Paul's a gentleman. He just keeps going. He, I'm just going to mind my own business I'm just going to do what God put me here to do. Second day. Behold, these men are servants. Oh, it's starting to grate. It's working them over. But God sent me here to do a mission. I'm going to do what God put me here to do. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to keep going. Third day. Behold, these men are servants. And something is starting to, to ruffle inside of Paul. He's been patient. He's been kind. He's been generous. He's allowed this loud, distracting voice to continue to resound. He lets her keep talking. He lets her have her minute. He lets people be distracted. He lets people pay her attention. For a couple days, he allows this to happen. But the turning point in the story, and this kind of feels like the turning point to me right now, is after being patient with those loud voices that are distracting from the message of the kingdom, after being patient with those voices that seem to sound like the voice of the Holy Spirit, but something's a little bit off, after being patient with those voices that pose as orthodox, but in reality are actually subverting the mission of the kingdom of Jesus in this world, the man of God simply has enough. The man of God had enough. Well, I wish I could go into a black preacher thing right about now because I don't feel like I can preach this the way that I'm feeling it. The man of God had enough of the foolishness. The man of God gets fed up with the silliness. The man of God gets over it with the distractions. The man of God gets tired of people who don't really speak for Jesus encroaching on kingdom territory and distracting people from hearing good news. And so finally, not with bluster, not with bravado, because Paul doesn't have to conjure anything. Paul doesn't have to muster anything up. He simply turns around her and just with real authority rebukes the spirit. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, come out. In the name of Jesus, shut up. In the name of Jesus, stop talking. I would contend that it feels like we're coming to a place in our culture where the more other voices distract and the more the other voices attempt to hijack the truth of the good news and the, the more that that begins to press in I'm in favor of being patient. I'm in favor of being kind. I'm in favor of being generous. 
And I'm also in favor of the moment when finally men and women of God have to stand up and say, enough of that. You don't speak for me and stop bringing my Jesus into this. Not the gospel, not the Jesus that I know. Men and women of discernment who discern the times, who discern the spirits, who can tell the difference between light and darkness, who can tell the difference between that which bears good fruit and that which bears bad fruit. People who are not getting energized by scapegoating and blaming, people who are not being energized by being right, people who are not high on their own sense of authority, but people who in the humility of the spirit, in the gentleness of the spirit, are committed to a kingdom vision of love. And when other people are not operating according to that love, and they're not speaking the truth in love, we don't give place to that. We don't create space for that. We don't create space for that on our Facebook wall. We don't create space for that kind of conversation within us. Because we're we're on a mission with God. I'm sorry to sound like the Blues Brothers right now. (laughs) To redeem the world to transform the world. We've got more important things to do. We've got better things to do. So sometimes that's why we have to really sweetly, really gently shut that mess down in the name of Jesus so that we can go about the business of being the people of God in the world. Well, that's just about all I have to say about that. (laughs) But I will add this and then we'll be done. I'm fascinated by what happens when Paul does this. Because Paul, who is concerned with people's liberation, understands that this is a slave girl who's being exploited by a spirit that's using her, a people that's using her, even to cast out the spirit as a way of setting her free. Paul everywhere is going around, you know, and he's proclaiming freedom and truth everywhere he goes. But interestingly enough, the townsfolk are not super happy about what Paul does here. Because in this little village, right, in this little pocket, apparently these particular, this particular little side business where these charlatans were employing people who actually did have some kind of demonic sort of power who were in touch with these sort of dark forces, they, man, they're making money off of this. The local economy is being bolstered from this. And so the people are outraged. Paul is... Paul is about to shut down the economy here. We can't have this. Because money, my friends, is a very powerful thing. If you want to know where the power is in any institution, structure, or country, follow the money. Follow the money. Am I preaching the truth? Wherever you, where, you, where the money is, there the power is. And people will put up with a lot of things in our pluralistic, open, ever so open-minded society. People are open to all sorts of voices who will say all sorts of things. So long as it doesn't encroach on the power structure where the money comes from. Because if you start messing with that, you start messing with people's souls. You start messing with stuff that goes deep. You know, I'm preaching this because I believe it. But in all honesty, I don't really like this for this reason. In all honesty, like, I'm... I am scared to death of coming against those kinds of forces of what happens. I mean, like, in, in myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have moments where I'm like, I, I don't want to do that. I really don't. 
That's not like humble, bumble preacher talk. You don't understand. I want to get my credit score up. I want to move into my new condo. I want to read great books about Jesus. Sip some margaritas. Sip some spiritual margaritas. And have a good life. Do you hear what I'm saying? I don't want, like, battle with principalities. But that is not what I want. You think I want to be thrown in jail? You think I want to be taught? Like, I don't want any of those things. But that's why this text is disconcerting to me. Because I know that when people are faithful to the gospel long enough, inevitably, this is what happens. There was a book I read a little over a year ago. A really wonderful book Tavis Smiley wrote called Death of a King, the real story of Dr. Martin Luther King's final year. I'm a student of King. And one of the things that really challenged me about this book is that you get this glimpse of Martin Luther King during his last year. Because on the other side of the assassination and the other side of everything that happened in the wake of that, you know, we sort of turn MLK into a saint. Oftentimes, by the way, that's the way I think that we keep people from having to really wrestle with their prophetic witnesses. We kind of, you know, make a statue. And then we're just happy that we made a statue and say, see, we've got a day. We've got a statue. Like that somehow honors the legacy. But we're not cut. We're not stung by the witness anymore. And so what happens in the wake of that, all that happened in the civil rights movement, the ways that it energized all that, the change that comes of that, then Martin Luther King becomes a, a hero, And we do have a day, and he's so celebrated, and he's so revered. Imperfect person, like all great prophets were, actually. But a man who accomplished like this great goodness, deeply admired and revered. And yet, the last year of his life, King was the most unpopular he'd ever been. Attendance at the rallies had plummeted. He was bringing out all kinds of celebrities on the road, like for the cause. People still weren't coming to hear him speak. Within his own movement, he was being laughed at and made fun of. They said he was old school. They said he was traditional. They said he wasn't aggressive enough. They said his message doesn't work. They said he was too passive. They said he was too political. So he starts to be rejected more and more, even by people within his own inner circle. He feels the whole thing crumbling. He was terribly depressed. He was overworked. Essentially, anybody close to him sees in that last year or two King as a, as a pretty miserable person who just keeps going. And one of the things that happens in all that, by the way, is that the real thing that seems to get King in the most trouble is not actually what he's saying about race. The trouble is he's not just talking about race. He's talking about economic injustice. He's talking about people oppressed by systems of poverty. And tangentially, he's talking about the Vietnam War. And those are the two things, by the way, that people will most stone you for. They will not let you talk about their money or their wars because money and war is where we get meaning. Boom, shakalaka. (laughs) It's just how it goes. People do not like it when you start to critique their money or their wars. So people are shutting Dr. King completely down. He's feeling that, right? He's feeling that. And especially this thing of people feel challenged. The powers that be are afraid that this is going to start cutting into their wallets. And this is, in the end, what riles people up so much. So all of that to say, what what's, scares me about this is like, I think we as the people of God, we would want to have that kind of prophetic witness. We would want to be people that are known for changing the world. But who wants to endure the suffering and rejection from when the powers come down on you? I don't, I don't have any idea what I'm saying right now. Like, I don't know what that means for me. I don't know what that looks like. I'm, I am honestly scared to death 
that as much as I want to be faithful, that I'm so compromised by my own desire to live comfortably. Would I say the truth at all costs, even in the face of principalities and powers? Would I be willing to cross that line? I'm not really, I hope so, but I'm not really sure. I think at the very least, though, here's maybe the best we can do, is we need to at least be mindful about this. That being the people of God in the world in a way that's faithful means we're going to stir people up. We're going to challenge systems and structures, even when we don't mean to, even just by having an alternative community where we take care of each other and we love each other really well. People who are not at peace will take our, will, will, will take our peace and our calm and, and, and our sanity as an indictment on their lack of sanity, as an indictment on their lack of peace. They will see this and they will be afflicted. They will be enraged. It's just what happens which is why I think we just have to be so careful. It's why I think we have to be so prayerful and so alert that even though that, you know, whatever happens in that regard, we just have to be, we have to stay on message. We have to stay on message. When they throw Paul and Silas in jail, God breaks them out of jail. So God's always at work. God's always have a solution. We don't have to worry about what happens to us. Oh man, I'm, I'm, I promise I'm landing the plane, but I just think so much of what being faithful looks like is actually getting to a place where you just stop worrying about what's going to happen to you and just do what God puts in you to do and trust that if you do what he's told you to do and you say what he's told you to say, he will take care of his own. Let the people be worked up. Let the crowd come with pitchforks. Let the people talk about you. Whatever happens, God takes care of us. And we get to a place where we stop worrying so much about the outcome, which we can't control. Start worrying about whether or not we're going to go over or are we going to be accepted. Oh, man, the moment that we allow ourselves to be set free from that. And we're just going to do what God put us here to do. We're going to say what God told us to say. We're going to do the best we can to be faithful. We're not going to be distracted. We're not going to be distracted to the right or to the left. We're not going to listen to the loud voices. We're going to stay true to the still small one. And the words that Mary said about Jesus, whatever he tells you to do, do it. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to trust that so long as we do what God asks, ultimately we're going to be okay. Somehow or another, it's going to be all right in this world or the world to come. One way or the other, it's okay. Stand with me, please. I'll stop talking. <laughs> Thank you for preaching with me. I'm feeling a little churchy on Mother's Day. Just take a moment and let's, uh, let's just pray together. Well, Lord, I don't, uh, I feel like I, I use too many words most of the time. I just, um, so this is a real simple prayer. God, I ask for discernment. Because I, like everybody else, hear so many different voices that compete for my attention. And I am so distracted. I am so fragmented. So many different kinds of news. So many different kinds of voices. So many different kinds. Oh, so much to see. So much to hear. Lord, it pulls at us. It pulls us apart. So I just pray in this moment you allow us to be at peace. I pray in this moment you allow our hearts and minds to be whole in your presence, that we would hear your voice, that we'd be attuned again to your whisper. God, help us not to be distracted by any voice that is not yours. Whatever it means, whatever it takes, help us not to go off mission, Lord. Lord, I, 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 would, uh, I know you don't want us to like beg and plead, but there's something in me that even for myself just wants to plead for that. Lord, help me not to go off mission, Help me, Lord, not to lose focus. Help me, Lord, not to be distracted. Help me, Lord. 
not to get my eyes and my ears focused on anything that is not you, Lord, because I know that the work that you've given to us in these perilous times is a great work, and it matters, and your kingdom is being established in the world. God, we want to be faithful. Teach us how to be faithful and true to your voice, no matter what anybody else will say or do or think. We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10 a.m., or 11.30 a.m. If you would like more information about who we are and what we're about, or to partner financially with what God is doing through Sanctuary, you can go to our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com. You can also download our mobile app from the App Store and Google Play. We hope you'll join us next week. Grace and peace.